Amen. Well, good morning, Legacy City Church and everyone else who's chosen to join us today at the drive-in. And uh, a special welcome to our online family that will be watching this a little bit later tonight. Um, thrilled to have you join with us on this Palm Sunday uh, here at the drive-in movies. And I'm excited. I'm just so excited about what God's going to do today. What a strange time that we're in right now, right? What a very weird and strange time that we're in. Many of us are just going kind of like day to day, trying to figure out the next step for work and for family and for life and for how do we do things. And it's, it's pretty chaotic all around the world right now. But, but I want to tell you that I am believing today that there is going to be peace that's going to come into your cars, into your living rooms today, wherever you're sitting, the place, wherever you're at, the peace of God will rest upon you because we, we need that peace right now. We honestly need, and, and the world is scared and anxious, but, but listen to me, Jesus speaks hope. And so we're believing today that you're going to get something out of this message. Because, because honestly, we, we always do. We always do. Anytime God's word is read, it's not going to return void because God's word is living and active. It's powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword. It, it penetrates. It, it divides soul and, and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And so it's going to come into you today, and it's going to start to build up this hope and this joy and this peace. Come on, church. Who doesn't want hope and peace today? We all do, right? So it's going to build within you, and, and, and maybe even in a fresh way that you've never known before. And so, so I'm really believing, I'm praying right now that the Spirit of the Lord is just going to overwhelm you today in, in, in a powerful way. His anointing, His peace, His presence, He's going to come over you this morning, and those watching a little bit later this evening. So I want to welcome you here. My name is, is Pastor Robbie, just in case we haven't had the privilege of meeting yet. And, and, and we're just going to get right into it. I do want to say, feel free to crank your cars at any point as needed. Uh, that doesn't distract me. I'm fine with it. Uh, some people, like said last time, they were trying to be polite and not crank their cars. But please, don't let your battery die. Do what you need to do. Uh, we do have jumpers if they're needed later on in the, in the day. But, um, uh, but we want you to make sure you're taking care of that. We're going to get right into it. I'm, I'm so excited because we, we started this message series last week called Words from the Cross. And um, it's just a really short series. We're just doing it for uh, two weeks and then, and then again on Good Friday uh, here in just a couple of short days. And so these are the last words. These are the words that Jesus spoke while he was on the cross. These are his last words, the seven phrases that we're going through. And I want you to understand, church, that, that I believe that these words that Jesus spoke are so powerful. I believe that he wanted us to hear them, and he wants us to apply them to our lives because he went to such extremes to make sure that they were spoken and, and that they were heard and recorded in Scripture. What do, I, what do I mean by that? Let me explain. Jesus was crucified, right? Jesus was crucified on the cross. And, and I want you to know that with all the, all, all the torture and all of the, all of the stuff that happened, the crucifixion is actually a suffocating death. Like everything else is just, is just extra on top of that. But the actual act of crucifixion, it's a suffocating death. And so when you're nailed to the cross, uh, you're, you're there and you have this, this piece of wood at your feet. And, and it's, it's conveniently placed like almost just out of reach, almost as another, another mechanism of, of torture. And so there's this piece of, of wood at your feet that you would use to sort of push yourself up 
So you're hanging there, and you would push yourself up to sort of uh, be able to grab a breath of air. And then eventually, you're, you're too weak to push yourself up anymore, and then you, you suffocate. And so as you're there, you're trying to breathe. And, and so for Jesus to be able to speak words out so that the people could hear them was just phenomenal. And so I really believe that we need to take special note of the words of Jesus from the cross. Last week, we discovered that the first words that Jesus spoke were actually a prayer. They were a prayer that he was praying. And the, and the word, it's in uh, Luke 23, verse 34, it says this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is unbelievable. I wish we could just talk about this all over again because it's so, so good. This, Jesus is the perfect lamb of God, and he's dying for the sins of the world. And in the process, he's praying for forgiveness for those who are, who are, who, who are harming him, who, who gave him a fake trial. He's praying for forgiveness over his murderers, forgiveness for those that have beat him uh, with, with a whip laced with shards of bone. That, that, that ripped the flesh from his back, forgiveness over those who pushed the crown of thorns onto his head, causing blood to spill all over his face. Forgiveness for the Roman soldiers that had these big rings, and they, they smacked Jesus in the face and said, prophesy to us who hit you. Jesus' time is counting down as he's on the cross, and in those final moments, he prayed forgiveness over those who forced him to carry his own cross towards Calvary and then nailed his hands and his feet to the wood and then put him in the air suspended between heaven and earth. And see, all of this we know. And, and we think like, wow, how remarkable of Jesus to take the high road and to ask forgiveness for all that oppressed him. And, and it makes us mad, right? Like we want to do something. Like we want to punch the Roman guards in the face, right? We want to get in there. If we were there, we would have shouted for Barabbas to be taken to the cross and, and killed and not Jesus. We get so angry about how everything went down. If it was me, I wouldn't have denied Jesus three times. I wouldn't have betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. I would have rushed to the cross and said, over my dead body. But what we often forget is that we had a hand in putting him there. It was our sin that weighed so heavily down on a sinless, perfect Jesus that day. He prayed for forgiveness for all that were there, but he was also asking forgiveness for you and for me. Because I want to let you know that when Jesus went to the cross, God laid all of the sin of the world on him that day. From, from the beginning to the end of all time, it was on Jesus, and he took all of our sin. Listen to me. He knows you. He loves you. He says, I've taken Robbie's sin and I'm putting it on the cross. Father, forgive him because he doesn't know what he's doing. What a savior. Amen. After that, we found out that Jesus took a prayer. He took that prayer that he prayed, the very first thing, uh, this prayer of forgiveness, and he put it into action on the cross. So Jesus was considered a criminal. Uh, he was hanging there between two other criminals. And, and one of the other criminals began to taunt him, began to join in with the crowd. 
right? And they're, they're yelling and they're shouting and they're casting lots and they're doing all these things. And so one of the criminals kind of joins in with the crowd. And, 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 and this is like so crazy to me because here is this man who's like about to have his last breath. And he's decided to join in with the crowd. And, and, and I'm not talking about like social distancing here, but, but he joins in and, and, and he, 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 he jumps in with them to gain acceptance, while hanging on the cross, how bizarre is that? I don't know who this is for today, but somebody needs to hear this. Joining into the crowd, going the way of the world, could cost you your paradise. And that's what happened on that day. It cost him paradise. We, we get so focused on trying to be accepted by man that we forget about the one the one whose acceptance really matters, and that's Jesus Christ. But, but I tell you what, on the other side of him was another criminal. So Jesus was hung between two criminals, and on the other side of him was another criminal. And this man recognized that this is the Savior of the world, and he said, hey, hey, God, forgive me. Forgive my sins. And he said, Jesus, today, when you enter into paradise, when you enter into your kingdom, don't forget me. Remember me, he says. Remember me when you go into your kingdom. You know, when, when God uh, used remember me in the Bible, whenever you see any time that God used remember me in, in Scripture, um, he, he delivered them. That, that, that idea of remembering me connected directly to deliverance. He del- when God remembered them, he delivered them from evil or from a barren womb. He remembered the Israelites in slavery, and he delivered them out of slavery. He says, remember me when you enter into the kingdom. And Jesus says, here's his second phrase, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise praise god and now i'm thinking about these words that we're going to talk about today these next phrases and i have to say our our lord never ceases to amaze me because it's not coincidence that i'm speaking on these two phrases today this sermon series was planned months ago it's been scheduled long before any of us knew what COVID 19 was it's been scheduled long before anyone even considered that we'd be in the midst of a quarantine fighting to, to wrestle down an invisible health threat But it gives me great joy to know that God knew, and God's got this, all right? These words of Jesus this morning should speak directly to us in the midst of our current situation. And so if you're taking notes, the title of the message today is Compassion and Substitution. Compassion and Substitution. One of the things that astounds me the most is is how the last phrases, um, and, and this one in particular, Jesus is focused on others. In the midst of what he's going through, in the midst of his turmoil, in in the midst of of what's happening, he's dying a real and painful death. The torture was real. Just because he was God doesn't mean he didn't feel the torture. The torture was real. The anguish was real. But instead of whining or complaining, instead of having self-centered thoughts, which, mind you, would be completely justifiable in that situation, he has compassion on other people. He turns his his eyes and his minds to them. He looks at others and he says, I want to pour my love out on them. Uh, this guy, William Barclay, he's a Scottish minister, uh, was, was a Scottish minister. He said, uh, there is something infinitely moving in the fact that Jesus, in the agony of the cross, in the moment when the salvation of the world hung in the balance, thought of the loneliness of his mother in the days that when he would be taken away. 
So this part of the crucifixion story is found in John 19, starting in verse 25. You can find that text on a, on a special website. I think it's been announced a few times, but just so you know what it is, it's, it's legacycity.church slash drive-in. And you can go there, and the text is there, or you can use your Bible app, or if you brought the physical copy of the Word, you can follow along there. But this is in John 19, and we're going to read just a couple of verses here and, and sort of talk about them. John 19, starting in verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus, other, other versions, other translations might say nearby or near the cross of Jesus, uh, were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife, the wife of Clophus, and Mary Magdalene. So so four people uh, are standing there. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple, so there's, there's the other one, uh, whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Okay, so the stage is set, right? We have four women, not, not three as it might appear. There's actually four women mentioned here, and, and a disciple being John. And so let's start by looking at the, the mother, at Mary, the mother of Jesus here. As I read these words earlier this week, I was reminded of the fact that she stood there. Her being there in that moment was a prophecy being fulfilled. If you remember when Jesus was a little boy, eight days old only, he was taken to the temple in Jerusalem, and Simeon held him in his hands. And Simeon made this bold statement. Uh, he looked at her, and he said to Mary, A sword shall pierce your own heart also, so that the thoughts of many people shall be revealed. And, and while, there, while there were probably many other times throughout her life where, where the sword pierced her heart, you know, I think about different situations that she went through. I think about uh, the fact that she had to deal with the fact that, that, that Herod had so many children killed on, on, on the account of her son and, and everything. Like, there are so many times where her soul, her, her soul was probably pierced, where her heart was pierced. But, but standing here watching her son die had to be the worst of all. Here she is now in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is dying on the cross. She saw the beatings, Right? She saw the groans. She heard all of the things that were being said. And, and now, and now mothers out there, I want you to think of this. She had to endure her son being crucified. How can we even begin to visualize it? She saw the crown of thorns. She couldn't remove it. She saw the nails in his hands. But, but she couldn't pull them out. She saw the lacerations all over his body, but she couldn't treat his wounds. She heard the cries and the tauntings and the jeers and the ridicule. She heard all of that, but she could not silence the crowd. And there she stood. I like what the text says in verse 25. It says that she stood near the cross. She was standing there. She didn't swoon. She didn't faint, though that would have been completely permissible given the situation the simple fact is is that she was there for her son and so what's really happening in this exchange i think a few things first jesus is showing tremendous compassion in the face of unbelievable adversity he recognized her need listen to me he recognized her need in the middle of his storm he looked at her and he saw her and he stopped everything to provide for her we, we have to realize that Mary is probably in her late 40s. Uh, she's likely a, w a widow at this point. We, 
We don't know at what point her husband died, but she's, she's most likely a widow at this point, which means she's in a dire situation. A, a widowed female late in her life would have no rights, no ability to provide for herself to earn money, and, and would typically rely on her sons to stand in the gap for her during her later years. And so, uh, you know, it typically makes you wonder, why not, why, why not her other sons? Why didn't her other sons step up? Like, I mean, Scripture records that Jesus had brothers. Why can't they take care of her? Uh, well, first of all, it is unclear from the text exactly why. But in John 7 and 5, we're told that her other sons did not trust in Jesus. They do later come to trust in him after the resurrection. And, and Jesus wants her to be taken care of by somebody who knows him and, and knows what he stands for. And so Jesus sees her. From the cross, he's, he's hanging there, he's dying, he knows she's there, and he recognizes her need. And in the midst of everything, in the midst of dying, he makes some quick arrangements. Mary, John is now your son. John, Mary is now your mother. Love and care for her as I would. His compassion is greater than his suffering in that moment. His compassion is greater than his suffering. His love is greater than his pain. Because in that moment, he also looks at us. Listen, he looks at each one of us in the face. In that moment, hanging there on the cross, he says, I see you. And I'm going to make arrangements for you right now. I'm in pain, but I'm going to pour out my compassion for you, and I'm going to make a way. Can somebody praise Jesus for that? I'm used to, I'm used to feedback from, from, the, from the congregation, so the horns help. <laughs> the second thing I want us to take away is this. From this particular passage, and believe me, there's so much more that we could get into, so much more that we could talk about in this, but I want, I want to note uh, here real quick the proximity of Mary and John. It says they were near the cross, right? They were close to the cross. The word says that they were standing nearby. Now, only one disciple is nearby. Only one is nearby, and, and, and Mary, she had her friends. Listen, it was not an easy place to stand, Okay? They were definitely in the minority in that situation. It wasn't an easy place to stand then. And, and listen to me, church, it's not an easy place to stand today. Honestly, if we want to go along with the crowd, we won't take a stand at the cross. If we're ashamed to be identified with Christ, then we won't take a stand at the cross. But, but these few did. These few did. And, and what came from standing near the cross? What came out of that situation standing beside the cross? blessings blessings now not blessings in the way that you're thinking yes mary was blessed right she was in a dire situation and she was blessed by the lord and she was given in that moment a son somebody to take care of her somebody to make sure that she had everything she needed but john was also blessed he was given an assignment that day he was blessed because he was given a very important assignment from the Lord to care for the woman who birthed the Savior of the world. Why? Because he was there. Now, I'm not discrediting the sovereignty of the Lord, and I'm not saying that, that if some other disciple had been there, if Peter or James or somebody else had been there, maybe they would have gotten the assignment. Uh, I'm not discrediting the fact that maybe this was planned out from the beginning and this was part of what Jesus was trying to do all along. And so I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that blessings come from being at the foot of the cross. John was able to be used in, by God in a huge way because of his proximity to the cross. 
Many of you, like I talk to, I talk to young people all the time that say to me, like, I just want to be used by God. I want him to use me for something big. And listen to me, my first question is, where are you looking? Where is your focus? Is it on Jesus or is it on something else? Because, because too often we're looking at the world and we're saying, how can I make an impact for Jesus instead of looking at the cross and saying, Jesus, how can you impact the world through me? Which is the real question that we need to be asking. Losing my voice. Here we go. Church, I want you to know today that the cross of Jesus Christ rebukes all wrongs, all wrong values. The cross of Jesus Christ comes to us in our need, and it destroys all dependency on worldly things. It destroys sin's grip on us. It gives us clarity. When we stand before the cross, we, we, we tremble and we say, in light of what Jesus has done, in light of what has happened, not my will, but yours be done. But we can't get there if we don't see the cross, if we're not coming back to it time and time again. Jesus showed compassion while on the cross. He didn't think about himself. He thought about others. Let me ask you this. How are you showing compassion to others during this current storm? Are you spreading hope and joy? Or are you spreading fear and pessimism? Are, are you thinking of and reaching out to others, or are you just sort of circling the wagons, stocking up on supplies and fending for yourself. Church, there are so many ways to show love and compassion in the middle of all of this social distancing. We have to just have a heart to do it and, and a willingness to be creative. Jesus showed compassion in the midst of his storm. All right, we're already running a little low on time, so let's jump over to the second phrase for the day. It's found in Matthew 27, verse, verses 45 through 46. It says this. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, Jesus, being on the cross when he cried this out, this was not a statement. This was a question. It was a question that we're all questioning right now. It's something that each and every single one of us is going, why, God? Why is this happening right now? And I think this is one of the toughest passages because this passage, what it does, it actually spurs on more questions than answers. In fact, one of the biggest questions is how could God abandon his one and only son? How could he do that? And, and many people throughout history have tried to answer that. In the 16th century, Martin Luther was studying this very verse, and he was studying over and over, and he locked himself away, and he was meditating on it for days and days. And he was just spending time pouring over this. And finally, someone heard him say, God forsaking himself? God forsaking God? Who can understand this? Martin Luther said this. This is one of, uh, one of the most difficult scriptures that we have, but when you look deeper into it, when you get further into it, there is hope there. There is hope for the world, a world right now that is crying out, why? There's hope right here in this verse. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I want to tell you, we, we read this scripture a little bit earlier, and this is found in Psalm 22. In fact, King David prophetically spoke this some 1,000 years before Jesus. 
And, and, it, and it's that psalm that we pray through, but this is how he starts the psalm. If you remember, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? David speaks about being scorned by mankind, being despised by people, being mocked, being poured out like water, all of his bones out of joint, circled by dogs, hands pierced, and feet pierced. He's describing what Jesus is going through in these moments. The anguish that Jesus is feeling, David is being poetic, but Jesus is suffering in real life. And it's not just the physical suffering that's making an impact, because it's at this point that I believe that Jesus truly felt forsaken. He felt forsaken, because when you look into this word forsaken, have you ever heard the expression, like, like God forsaken place? That God forsaken place? Have you ever heard something like that? Or that God forsaken land? It's a place where no one wants to be, right? In fact, it literally means abandoned. It means alone. Can I tell you something, church? You may be feeling today alone, deserted, abandoned. But I came to tell you today that you are not alone, not deserted. Why? Because Jesus took that burden for you. He's, he's hanging there and he's dying and he screams out in anguish, why have you forsaken me? He felt abandoned so that we didn't have to. In Matthew 27, 46, and in Mark 15, 34, both of these gospels referred to uh, the ninth hour and talked about this, this darkness. All right, there were three hours of darkness. The first three phrases that we've gone through, the two last week and the first one today, those happened early on in the crucifixion process while he was on the cross. But then there are these three hours of darkness where nothing is said, and then we come, Jesus breaks that darkness, and he breaks that, that lull in the three hours with this phrase. All right, three hours pass, and then Jesus cries out, why have you forsaken me? I imagine these were three of the darkest hours, the three darkest hours of Jesus' earthly life. A painful isolation. He's isolated from God, from the Father. It's a tiny bit, just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. Like when the darkness hit us, when we found out about this virus and how it just kept coming and it didn't seem to let up and it just hit more and more countries and then more and more cities and, and we felt separated and we felt isolated. Some of you listening today, you're feeling that. I'm still separated. I'm still isolated. What do I do? And you're feeling, you're feeling down. Can I, can I just tell you, church, that there is some good news for you? Jesus was a way maker. Jesus suffered to save you and to bring glory to God. That's what, that's what this is all about. You know, some suggest that, that in those three hours, during those three hours, uh, literally God turned his back on Jesus. The father literally turned his back on the son at that point. And they say that it was the shadow of God's back blocking the sun from the earth that caused the darkness. Well, I think whatever you call it, it was obviously the loneliest and most painful time for Jesus. His, his physical pain was torturous, right? Emotionally, he was worn out, but spiritually, that's where the real pain was. That's where the real suffering was, the spiritual agony of having all of the sin of the world, past, present, and future, laid on his sinless person all at once. No man could carry that kind of weight. Only God could carry that. Jesus Christ carried that, and at that moment, 
Christ was not the beloved son with whom the father was well pleased, but instead he was now the object of the father's wrath. At that moment, Christ had become the atonement. He had become the substitution, paying for our sins. Romans 6.33 says, since the wages of sin is death, Every sin that you and I has ever committed, every bad thought, every slip of the tongue, every act of disobedience, every, every, every time that we give the stink eye to someone, every time that we cut someone down with our words, every time we allowed our eyes to wander where they shouldn't, every murder, every rape, every blood that was spilled was piled on the back of Jesus. No man could carry that. It's hard to understand for me that the Father would turn his back away during this pivotal moment. The situation. So no wonder Jesus yelled out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? C.H. Spurgeon uh, described it in this way. He said, Jesus took our sin. Jesus took our sin. The wrath of God that was destined for us was then reflected onto Christ. That's exactly what happened? He stepped in as our substitution. In Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, it says this, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Come on, church, that should bring us to tears to even think about. Think of everything you've ever done, everything you've ever said, every thought you've ever had. And that's, that's just you, that's just me. Laying that on a perfect, blameless, sinless Lamb of God. Now multiply that by millions and billions, the entire world, past, present, and future. He was crushed for our, trans for our iniquities, pierced for our transgressions. Here's the deal. Christ was abandoned so that you could be adopted. Christ was abandoned on that cross so that you didn't have to go through it. So now you don't have to feel abandoned. Galatians 4 or 5 says that God sent him to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. We can receive adoption. Thank you, Jesus, that you did that for us. And, and so let me bring this home. I mean, I know we don't like have to rush off because there's no tables waiting for us at restaurants or anything right now, right? Is that too soon? I don't know. Uh, but I want to bring this home for you. Just a few thoughts. I want to throw out for you to think about today. Number one is this. We must never minimize the awfulness of sin. We must never minimize the awfulness of sin because God can't even look at it. In Habakkuk 1.13, it says, You who uh, are of purer, of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. God can't even look at it. That's why God turned his back. He couldn't handle the wickedness. He couldn't see that on Jesus. But here's the good news. When you put your faith and your hope in Jesus and the Holy Spirit takes a residence in your heart, you are covered now by the blood of Christ. 
And so what happens now is that when God looks, God, he sees Jesus, not you. He doesn't see the sin, he sees you, but he doesn't see the sin. Instead, he sees the blood of Jesus all over you. Come on, somebody, that is beautiful. That's why we don't minimize the awfulness of our sin, because it belittles what Jesus did on the cross. Number two, Jesus can identify when you feel abandoned. He can identify with you. He can identify with me. He can identify with us when you feel abandoned. If there's anybody who can identify with you, <laughs> my goodness, it's Jesus. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, it says this, uh, hi, this high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he has faced all of the same tests that we do. He did it all. He, he faced it all, and he did it without sinning, mind you. So when you've got his power, when you've got his spirit in you, you can do the same thing. Come on, if you're walking with him, you can do the same thing. When you feel alone, when you feel abandoned, when you feel you've hit rock bottom, Christ Jesus himself has already been there. He's already been where you are. He cannot, you, you cannot fathom the depth and the despair that Jesus felt on that cross. Listen to me, church. Jesus can identify with how you feel today with how you feel in the midst of the coronavirus, with how you feel in the midst of your situation, your family, your relationship, your job, your finances, he can identify with where you are. Number three, this is the last thing. Because Jesus was abandoned, we can experience life. Because Jesus was abandoned, we can experience life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was abandoned so that we could live. Jesus was abandoned so that he could be our substitute. Listen to his cry from the cross. It was for everyone who feels lonely, everyone who feels abandoned right now, for the orphan, for the widow, for the single parent struggling to make ends meet, for the mother standing at the bed looking at her dying child, for the father without work, a prisoner in his cell, women who've been abandoned by their husbands, People that have hit rock bottom, people with coronavirus, people that are being quarantined right now. The word from Jesus on the cross is for you, each and every one of you. It's for you today. And here's my question, are you going to receive it? Are you going to live in his peace? Are you going to live in who he is? Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then do you know what he says to us? As incredible as that is, here's what he says to us. He turns and he says, child, you will never be forsaken. I will never leave you alone. I will always be with you. That's what the word tells us in Hebrews 13, 5. He was deserted that, that, so that you may never be deserted. He was abandoned so that you might not be abandoned. He was forsaken that you would not be forsaken. He tasted death so that you could experience life. Praise God, church. Here it is. We're at the finish line. Here it is. We're, we're going to wrap it up. Christ was abandoned so that we might be adopted. This morning, you know what? You can be adopted into the house of God. You can be adopted into the family of God. All you have to do is confess your sin and ask him to become the Lord of your life. That's all you got to do. It's not rocket science here. You just, it just has to come from the heart because Romans 10, 9 says if you declare it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so wherever you are, 
in, in your car, in, 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 the, in the bed of your truck with the tailgate up, sitting in your living room on your, on your phone or on your laptop, wherever you are, wherever you're hearing this, we're going to pray a prayer. And, and at Legacy City Church, nobody prays alone, so we're going to pray. And for those of us who already com- have already committed our lives to Christ, uh, who already believe that, that he died for us and already stepped into that freedom, we're just going to use this as a time of, to, to, to remember and, and, to, and to thank God for who he is. But we're all going to pray this together. So pray this with me. Jesus, this morning, I believe that you died for me rose again on the third day I ask that you forgive my sin cleanse me of my unrighteousness I ask that you come and be the Lord of my life I give you my heart in the mighty name of Jesus amen can we celebrate the Lord moving in the hearts of people today Listen to me, and I'll stop talking. I know I've been up here for a while. If you prayed that prayer today for the very first time, welcome. You were just adopted into the family of God, and all of heaven is rejoicing. I'm so excited for you. The band is so excited for you, and we want to connect with you. And so if you go to the website, legacycity.church slash drive-in, or if you're watching online, then, then, then it's legacycity.church slash live. Scroll down to the bottom of the page, and there's a place for you to fill out a quick response form. We just want to come alongside you and celebrate with you. For, for many people, their faith is private, but we believe that we are better together. And so fill out that form, or at the very least, tell somebody about your decision today. And if you still need some time, we're going to take one more moment to sing together before we close out.